Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. My ex and I were really good friends before we got together. About a year and a half into our friendship, we started hooking up and um, became officially boyfriend and girlfriend. And it was probably about a year after that um, where our sex life started fizzling out. Um, I think that had a lot to do with uni stress at the time. Um, and I just found that I didn't want to have sex with him anymore. Um, I really harboured a lot of guilt over it at the time um, because I felt like I had made that decision for both of us. Um, I knew that he wanted to have sex, but I just had no interest at all. Um, it didn't really help. He went as far as to say I was asexual, which I just know isn't true. Um, and it was just a massive relief when I broke up with him a few months later. Coming up in today's episode... Sex educator and body-positive advocate Ruby Rare talks about navigating the ebb and flow of sexual desire. I think it's really important to recognise that there can be challenges around having sex, um, but at the same time that not having sex is not the end of the world. And Professor Jackie Gabb tells us what we should know about the frequency of sex in relationships from her years of research as a professor in sociology and intimacy. When things start to unravel and feel a bit less comfortable between partners in a relationship, we start to question, is our normal the same as everyone else's normal? And what's important to realise is that there are some averages, but actually the times that people have sex doesn't mean anything about the quality of the relationship. I've been with my partner for over seven years and we are sex-free by choice. We wanted the benefits of companionship, but minus the complications of sex. We're intimate in plenty of other ways. We cuddle and kiss, but more importantly, we have emotional intimacy. We share the good and bad bits of our lives. We care for each other. There's certainly nothing missing from our lives or from our relationship. In fact, our relationship is far, far stronger for being sex-free. We're the best of friends. We've helped each other through the rough times. To us, that's much more important than physical intimacy. So, sexless relationships. Hmm. We've written about this quite a lot, haven't we, Rachel? Um, It's a super popular area of concern Mm -hmm. for lots of people. Apparently there's huge search traffic on Google for sexless marriages um and lots of the articles that you will come across if you if you do search that term is kind of geared towards older people really and they're illustrated by lots of couples with white hair normally sat with their heads in their hands on a bed having (laughs) had an argument about something the issue with this is that it can be super alienating for those of us who don't see ourselves reflected in these articles so today what we wanted to do is change this narrative slightly really tackle the idea that sexlessness only happens to you when you're in your 60s or your 70s and 
broaden the conversation out to make it a little bit more inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, it is not something that is for older people only. There's research uh, from Relate, actually, that shows that it impacts people at all different ages. Um, So even though sexist relationships do increase in general as we get older, interestingly, 18% of people under 30 in this survey class themselves as being in a sexist relationship. And then among people in their 30s, that went up to a quarter of people. That's really quite Mm. high. And I think something something else that's so interesting about that survey and other ones like it is what do we actually mean by sexless relationship? Like, is it Mm -hmm. you haven't had sex in a month or is it you haven't had sex in a year or you're not ever going to have sex again? Like, does Mm -hmm. does it mean, you know, that sex is completely gone or that perhaps it's just become a bit more infrequent than it used to be? And... I don't think we really have the language to hone in on what we're talking about here. And it's just because Mm. we don't talk about it a lot. I totally get you on there not being language for this and the kind of loose definition of sexlessness. What does that actually mean? The only time I've really ever spoken to people about this as kind of a broader issue is it's always just kind of a bit of a joke, I guess. People kind of joke about how they're not having any sex anymore or yeah sex what's that like I haven't done that for ages kind of thing um interestingly quite a lot of those friends who would joke about that then suddenly end up pregnant and uh, that makes me think that they're lying perhaps in some respect you just can't really trust people um but yeah I guess it's just like what is the what is the kind of benchmark what what's normal quote marks um if we never really talk about it we don't really know what is normal and like where are we getting this idea of normality from and you get it that idea of normality perhaps by comparing yourself to your younger self Mm. so you know you think about what you were up to at the start of a relationship in the first week or when you were in your early 20s and maybe that is very different as you get older so you're you're your own worst enemy you're comparing yourself to your literal self Mm. I also wonder on this whether the pandemic has changed people's expectations of what normal is Mm. or their perceptions of what normal is as well like during the first lockdown we had all those jokes about oh everyone's going to be having sex during the daytime people are going to be at it like rabbits but actually like we know from research that the opposite has happened. There was a study from Anglia Ruskin that found that people were having less sex because of the pandemic. And I don't think that's surprising, actually. Like, everyone's stressed. You're stuck indoors with your partner all day for a lot of people. That is Mm. not a sexy prospect. (laughs) Like, it's not. I also think that there are obviously people for whom sex isn't a big part of their relationship for reasons perhaps, I don't know, circumstance or health or just being busy or just not being up for it Um, and that's also completely valid that's why it's so great that we've got these expert guests coming on today to I guess deconstruct this idea of what's normal ultimately it's all about what works for you I think I realized that I was in a sexless relationship when I went to visit my gynecologist and she said, oh, are you concerned about your birth control options? And I said, no, I said, don't really have that much uh, sex. And she says, sex is an important part of a relationship and you're still quite young, right? I thought about it for a minute and I thought, well, he might not be that into it, but there's so many other 
wonderful things to our relationship that I always just kind of overlooked it. And it was fine for the first few years. And then, you know, as time progressed, it became increasingly clear to me that there was not only a lack of sex, but there was a complete lack of intimacy. And we were best friends, we were roommates, we were like brother and sister. And I realized I'm not gonna spend the rest of my life being able to do this, I want sex. <laughs> Today, we are joined by sex educator and body positive advocate, Ruby Rare. She's also the ambassador for the youth sexual health charity, Brooke. And it was while giving workshops for the charity that she realised adults need sex ed just as much as young people. So she wrote a sex ed guide for adults. Ruby, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. So I just wanted to start off by asking, we know that there are lots of resources geared towards older couples in sexless relationships, but it's also quite prevalent for people in their 20s and 30s. Is this something you've seen through your work? Yeah, it definitely is. I think people, there's still so much of a stigma like around not having sex. We're told like mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout our childhood and our teenage years, many of us are told that we shouldn't be having sex and that it's something to avoid. And as soon as you get into adulthood, the expectation is that you should be having sex in all your relationships <laughs> all the time. It should be amazing. So there should be true. no complaints. <laughs> so um, I think it's really important to recognize that there can be challenges around having sex. Um, but at the same time, that not having sex is not the end of the world. Like there are lots of people who actually mm don't want to have loads of sex in their relationships and that's completely fine as well so it's kind of just like rebalancing what our expectations are around sex and understanding that like it's genuinely a case-by-case basis and not even that like I go through different type times in my relationships where sometimes I want to have sex all the time and my partner does as well and other times one or both of us are really not feeling it as much for loads of different reasons It's definitely prevalent, I think, with all ages, to be honest. And it's really nice to hear that you two are talking about it this week, because I think it's one of those, like, unspoken about topics to do with sex. Yeah, we are kind of keen to get across the fact that when sex drops off, it's not necessarily because you've been together for a really long time. Like, as you said there, it can happen at any point. What are some of the reasons why sex might start to drop off, particularly in early relationships? There are so many different reasons. Like the most obvious one, which is super broad, is stress. We tend to think about sex as something that's almost exists in like a vacuum in our lives and nothing could be further from the truth. Anything that is going on in the rest of our lives is going to impact the sex that we're having. And it kind of goes the other way as well. If you're having a bad time with the sex that we're having, that is going to have an impact on the rest of your life. So stress can be anything. It can be stuff with work. It could be financial stress. It can be worrying about your body and your self-image. All of those things, those everyday worries can really creep into the way that we think about sex and sexual desire. At any stage in your life, if you can look at the stresses that are in your life right now, whatever they are, and do what you can to kind of mentally put them somewhere else for a little bit. If that means like writing them on a piece of paper or saying them out loud before you start being sexual, just so they're acknowledged, but they're kind of paused for a bit. It doesn't mean the stress is going to go away, but like if you bring that into the sex, it's going to make it a lot harder for you and your partner to really enjoy yourselves and unwind. And then another really big one is mental health. I have definitely experienced this when my mental health has impacted my 
ability to feel desire and to feel kind of calm and relaxed in a sexual environment and that has a really big impact. When it comes to these kind of temporary sexless phases like um, some of the examples you just mentioned how do you recommend people within the relationship support each other through that? I, I try to kind of recommend communicating as early as possible because what we really want to avoid in these situations it's one thing to like not be on the same page and to be having a difficult time but when that starts to kind of shift into resentment that can be a lot more challenging Mm. to overcome and if you can think about like yourself and where you're at with compassion and kindness and then also think about the other people in the situation with the same kindness that's a really good starting point And also just not rushing for change or for people to see your perspective immediately. Often when we communicate, we can really want people to hear where we're at straight away and to take it in immediately. And I know it can take a bit of time for that information to sink in if it's new to you. So Mm. it's not something that's going to change overnight, but kind of the, the kinder you are to each other, I think the better chance you have of like really being able to start to rebuild a bridge between the two of you. That's really good advice. That kind of touches on within a relationship. I know um, that we've seen on your Instagram and stuff that you proudly say you identify as non-monogamous. Can you tell us a bit about that and how that might help someone or be something someone might want to explore if they're in this position? I mean, I think if you're having challenges within your current relationship, non-monogamy of any kind is not going to necessarily fix that. I like to talk about, you know, when there's a couple in your life who you really don't think are getting on and you kind of feel like they should break up and then they mm. turn around and they like get a puppy. Mm. <laughs> that doesn't fix a relationship. Another like way of doing that is, okay, we're going to start exploring non-monogamy. Mm. It's not necessarily going to fix a relationship that has existing challenges. Mm-hmm. But if both of you are on the same page, it can be a really nice nourishing thing to add to your relationship. Just in like a really practical way, like I've got friends who are on the asexual like ace spectrum and so who have like romantic relationships with a partner but are really uninterested completely or not very interested in a sexual relationship and so being non-monogamous is really great because it means that their partner is able to enjoy sex with other people as well as with themselves we Mm. fail to talk about masturbation a lot in these conversations because Mm. again creating a reliance to feel sexual on someone else it's an added pressure that if we can avoid or minimize as much as possible that's really going to help for me non-monogamy it's been really nice because when there have been moments when I have been craving more sex or less sex or like a different type of sex, I've had other people in my life who I can go to that with. Um, it's not just being put on my main partner. That's really interesting because it is a lot of pressure, isn't it, to kind of find one person who you can perhaps be compatible with for an extended period of time when lots of things can change for either person and yeah. that will potentially can cause issues further along. You mentioned masturbation just then. What other forms of non-sexual intimacy would you recommend for people that you work with to explore? I love talking about intimacy with sexuality kind of like put to one side. Mm -hmm. And it's really up to you and up to what you like. I can kind of share the things that I enjoy and the things I tend to recommend. But if they don't sound like they're going to work for you, like this is an invitation to go off and think about what's going to work for you in your relationship. I really like having baths with a partner. And for that to not be a sexual thing, for that just to be like a way of us 
and winding at the end of a week together and like having a bubble bath, having a beer in there or a glass of wine and really like just talking and connecting. So I really enjoy Mm. that massage of all different types. Again, without the pressure of it being sexual, not diving for someone's genitals or like trying to make it really sexy. It just being about like nurturing the other person. Um, We've also heard anecdotally from new parents who say sex is can be particularly challenging when you've suddenly got a kid, especially for, you know, the person who's given birth, your body has changed, the dynamic of your household has changed. Have you got any tips for people in that situation of how to get back on it when they, you know, do feel like they're ready to? I mean, the first thing is don't feel like you need to any sooner than when you both of you are actually ready. I don't have kids, but my friends who do, there's that six-week GP checkup and at the end of it they'll like tick you up and say like right okay you're you're good to have sex again and my mates who have had that have just been like are you joking (laughs) (laughs) I I gave birth six weeks ago I have no idea what I'm doing I am so not ready for sex in any way and I think rather than trying to aim to like get your sex life back on track to the way it was it's about doing things little and often and I don't mean like having a quickie and having like full <laughs> sex with climaxes that like you know those days may be over for a little while but doing things that make you both feel sexual feel wanted feel like seen and appreciated even if that's in the morning when you're waking up or like when one of you is sort of getting ready for work the other person's just there and like you know comes up behind them and gives them a squeeze and like gives someone mm. a really like heartfelt compliment this is actually um it's a phrase called sexual currency, which Dr. Karen Gurney is amazing. She talks about this. It's sort of all the things that you do every day in your relationship that kind of create an environment where people feel wanted and trust and desire. And so Mm. when you eventually then get to a space that is sexual and you're actually going to have sex, you're not starting from scratch. You've already kind of built this foundation in your everyday life of like, the nice compliments and really looking at each other and saying nice things and like intimate touch and maybe, you know, a kiss that lasts for a couple of seconds longer. Mm. And I think all of those things, when you're a new parent, it's, it's easier to think about those tiny little things rather than like, oh my God, we've got to have sex now. That's such nice advice. I know I asked about new parents, but it applies to everyone. That's really lovely. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. More generally, what would you advise people in a relationship who have incompatible libidos this is one of the most common questions that I get asked on Instagram in my like workshops and talks like all the time and some people might be interested in having more sex than you some people might be interested in having less sex than you if that's something that you can recognize early on in a relationship it's really worth acknowledging that because before you catch feelings for someone if you (laughs) notice that they are a lot less interested in sex than you further down the road that might lead to some more complicated conversations and situations I think it's about being on the same page and kind of like being upfront about what you're looking for at different times and also being able to receive rejection and give rejection Mm -hmm. as well it's a weird one I spoke to a couple of girlfriends about this recently because we suddenly all realized that we had had issues over the last couple of months of like our partners not being in the mood for sex and all of us being like what 
but I thought I was the one who was meant to have the lower libido. <laughs> this is outrageous. And then, and then, you know, having to handle this rejection and be like, obviously, I really respect my partner's consent. This is super important. But mm. oh, I feel disappointed. But now I feel like an arsehole because I don't want my partner to be made to feel bad because mm. I they don't want to have sex. And like navigating that is a really interesting conversation for me because I don't think it's a perspective we hear about very often. And it can be really useful if you've got other people in your life to talk to them as well as talking to the person in your relationship with you. Just to know that like, oh, other people who I love and speak to all the time are also going through this. It's great to hear you talking about those real life experiences. And it just breaks away from that cliche idea of like men want sex all the time. Women are the ones saying, I've got a headache, you know, in heterosexual relationships. You always see that excuse, don't you, in like old school films and things. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we all do ourselves a disservice when we think we make those assumptions about like, oh, men think this more, women think this more. We're all individuals and we all ebb and flow in kind of a similar but different way. There's this kind of dominant narrative about fixing sexist relationships that when you Google it, it's how to get out of it. How do you just sit in it peacefully? If you feel content in a relationship without sex, what are your tips for, you know, checking in with a partner, seeing where they're at? It's really nice to hear you say that because, yeah, again, any Google search is like, you're doing this wrong. You need to change (laughs) things straight away. (laughs) I think if people are not having sex and would like to have sex, A really useful tip is rather than trying to lean in and be like, okay, how do we make sex happen? It's going to happen now. Instead, just officially take it off the menu for now. Because if you have the potential of sex, it can add to all this like pressure and expectation. And if you're just saying like, look, we're not having sex right now. Let's just say for the next like six weeks, we're we're just not going to have sex. And then we'll look at it again in six weeks and see where we're at and see what we want to do. And you might find in that time that actually you do feel like having sex. But if you don't, it's totally fine. And then you can assess and kind of see where you're at with that kind of conscious, clear break. If you are currently happy not having sex or in a place where you're unable to have sex if that's because of your mental health or like a health condition physical or otherwise it can be really good to do a similar thing like in the past when my mental health has got in the way of my desire I have communicated that with my partner and said look I think for the next like month or so I want lots of like intimate sensual stuff but I really don't think that I can go there in terms of sex and then can we check in then and then we did and actually like I'm thinking of one particular example what was really useful was when we were then ready to have sex again we started off only doing certain things I for me like I really wasn't interested in penetration me being penetrated me penetrating someone I was like nope let's just keep that off the menu for now that still feels scary and then we'll get back to it at some point so For me, it's really empowering to talk about things in that kind of like just blunt, honest, open way rather than like kind of trying to hide and like skirt around it and not talk about things directly. So I think once you get over the initial awkwardness, most people can really benefit from that honesty as well. It's so great that you have been able to have those conversations in the past with partners. I'm very awkward when it comes to talking about sex, as <laughs> Rachel knows. No. I always go really weird. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not even now. But I think for a lot of people, it would be quite a vulnerable conversation to have. You know, even if it's with a even if it's with a partner that they've been with for a long time, or yeah. 
or somebody that they've known for a long time. Do you have any advice for people about how to have a, this conversation if if that's never been something that they've been able to talk about before? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think it's really important to talk about how we actually communicate because, you know, I wang on all the time about why it's really important to communicate, but we are very rarely taught like the actual how to do it at school, mm. in our adult life, anywhere really. So there are a few tips that I can give. The first one is thinking about having consensual conversations. Consent's a word we associate with sex a lot, but actually we should be aiming to be consensual in all parts of our lives. And it can really help to check in with someone before you have a conversation. First of all, to know that they are in a place where they can have that conversation, where you're not going to like say all this stuff and they're not going to be able to take it on board or they're in the middle of something, their head's somewhere else. But also it kind of breaks the ice because you're able to say, look, I have this thing I want to talk to you about. Be honest that you feel vulnerable about it and you feel kind of nervous about it. It means that you're not having to carry the like potential nerves or guilt or shame about feeling nervous with Mm. you into that conversation the other thing is figuring out how you best communicate and how your partner communicates and I mean like physically where where and how we communicate whether that is face-to-face like having a conversation making direct eye contact being like really connected that works for some people. For other people, that's terrifying because it's way too direct. <laughs> There's nowhere to hide. Um, so if you go for a walk together or you go for like a, a drive, that can really help. And then a couple of other things to think about. Some people really like writing emails or writing letters to each other. A letter or an email is really useful because you get to say everything you want to say and like both of you have enough time to listen and respond. And voice notes are also really useful especially starting these conversations, some things might feel scarier to say directly to the person. It can be easier to say that on your own. Of course, when you do work through these things, sex can come back, right? I think that's something that we need to hear for the people who aren't having it, but do really want to have it. Just because you've had a bit of a dry spell, that doesn't mean the end of your sex life with that person, does it? It really doesn't. Do not worry, (laughs) please. (laughs) I think having a bit of patience with this is really important. You know, our sex lives ebb and flow throughout our lives. And just as there will be times when sex isn't as prevalent in your life, there will be times when it kind of comes rushing back. So feel free to just be taken along for the ride with this and see where it goes. If there are times when you are really unhappy and you really want things to change, then also remember that. I don't want to say like, just go with the flow because actually if someone's unhappy in their relationship and having sex or not having sex is a factor in that, mm. if they want to change the relationship or end it, they they need to be encouraged to have the confidence to do that as well. Mm-hmm. But Not having sex is not an indication of like a failed relationship. It can be a really positive thing. And, you know, you as a team could be working on lots of other things that just for a bit take more priority, like having kids, like starting a business together, like working through a pandemic and staying sane, you know, like (laughs) all of these things can and will come back. And just because you're not having sex right now doesn't mean you're not a sexual person. Your sexuality is not dependent on like physically having sex and proving it all the time oh what a great note to end on I love that before we let you go we do have one final question that we ask all of our guests though and that is what makes you uncomfortable oh what makes me uncomfortable 
Oh, do you want a really gross answer? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no hesitation. I had a dream about maggots. Oh. <laughs> so what makes me feel uncomfortable is maggots. I had a dream oh. that I like opened a chest and it was full of maggots. So for whatever reason, that is the thing that's on my mind right now. Um, I am not made to feel uncomfortable about many things in life. But yep, apparently that's the thing that's really doing it for me right now. That is a surprise answer. I did not expect (laughs) maggots to come up. Well, I hope you'll excuse me being too weird. Loved it. Ruby, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Really nice to talk to you both. Ruby's book, Sex Ed, A Guide for Adults, discusses sexless relationships and how you navigate the conversations around sex. You can find Ruby on Instagram at rubyrare, which is R-U-B-Y-R-A-R-E. In my last relationship, we were together for seven and a half years. And towards the end of that relationship, sex was virtually non-existent. We stopped caring, we stopped trying. It was it was hard. I mean, it definitely made me feel quite insecure about myself. I had quite a lot of low self-esteem and body issues and... It was quite hard, you know, in your early 20s, you're expected to just be having sex all the time, but I was with someone that didn't even want to touch me. But now I think that lack of communication and lack of trying in my past relationship has really helped me. I'm now with someone who is so loving and intimate and we're really communicative and, you know, just like most couples, we do have times where we're not in the mood for sex. The difference being is we actually talk about it and we do really make time for each other as well. And I think that's the most important thing. Our next guest is Professor Jackie Gabb, whose recent study, Enduring Love, focused on the everyday experiences of relationships. She's also Chief Relationships Officer at Paired, a new app for couples. We know that there can be a lot of misleading information around how much sex you should be having in a relationship. So Professor Gab has joined us to talk through some key points she wants people to know. The term sexlessness is problematic. If we're thinking of the way terms and concepts actually frame how we're perceiving something, if you've got the term sexlessness... That implies there's a lack, there's an absence, there is something wrong. And actually, we know that relationships can function quite satisfactorily without sex if both partners have agreed to it or found a way to compensate for the absence of sex if one doesn't agree with that. So I do think we've got to be very cautious about the terminology we use and even sex itself. So when you're talking about sexless, what are you actually talking about? Are you actually talking about the absence of contact? Are you actually talking about the absence of orgasm and climax? So there are lots of things wrapped up when we're talking about relationships where there has been a fluidity to the free frequency or the kinds of sex that couples are having. Other people aren't having sex as much as you think. Everyone presumes that they're normal, that's the the baseline we start from, and then as soon as there are discrepancies in desire in a relationship or when things start to unravel and feel a bit less comfortable between partners in a relationship, we start to question, is our normal the same as everyone else's normal? 
And what's important to realise is that there are some averages, but actually the times that people have sex doesn't mean anything about the quality of the relationship, but also that that number is flexible. So if you look at different studies, you will find different results. So what that tells us is there's a discrepancy. So what we think of as the norm depends on a lot of factors and there is not a definitive answer. A sexless relationship doesn't mean the end of your relationship. There's lots of evidence to suggest that relationships can be really happy without sex. There's also lots of evidence to say that if there's sexual discrepancies, then it might be that there are underlying issues in the relationship. So it doesn't mean if there's no sex happening in a relationship that it will automatically mean that relationships will end. It doesn't mean that one or both partners are going to be very unhappy. What it does mean is that both partners have to be open to the idea that all partners experience change over life course. What I found from my research is that there is a definite correlation between satisfaction in relationship and the quality of sex. So as long as the sex you're having is still experienced as pleasurable and it's fulfilling your desires within the relationship, then the relationship will be fine. Sex drive depends on a lot of factors. A lot of the understandings that we have and that are put out there in the media that we encounter are there's this thing called sex and we are having it or the sex drive is there or it's not there and it isn't absolutes. So sex drive may be there but your body doesn't really feel like it. It doesn't mean that you don't desire your partner. So I think it's important to think about What we mean by sex drive, does it mean our capacity to have sex or does it actually mean something far more nuanced, which is about you want some level of connection with your partner? So sex drive is is problematic as a term and it's also problematic because it's so deeply gendered within our culture that we presume men have sex drive and women respond to those, quote, primal needs. And that is not the case. We know from research that women's sex drive is equal to men's in a lot of cases. We know men's sex drive also may diminish for lots of reasons. And we need a more honest conversation about how couples are negotiating the ebbs and flows that naturally occur during life course that impacts on their sexual relationship. Sexlessness is not just a problem for heterosexual couples. The absence of sexual interaction between couples is not something which is just about being heterosexual. If heterosexual couples are about men and women, then obviously two men and two women are also going to experience differences in desire. So I know from my research and talking to people that different couples were experiencing different desire for the number of times and the nature of sex itself in very different ways, both in LGBTQ plus relationships and in terms of heterosexual relationships. What LGBTQ relationships does give us is a way of complicating the gendered picture. So you talk about two women where one partner doesn't want sex, you suddenly can't reduce it to a gendered difference. Don't believe the headlines around millennials having less sex. It's complicated. Statistics tell you very particular stories and to say millennials are having less sex, well, they may be having different kinds of sex. Are we actually talking about sex when they're on their own? So we're talking solo sex or masturbation. Are we talking about online sex? They may just be having a lot better sex, they just don't need it as frequently. Do we still perceive the question to be, when are you having sex? Oh, it's when I'm having sex with someone else. And so I think there's obviously a problem of terminology as we go forward about talking to young people in the language that they use and also talking to them through the ways that they connect with one another, which may not all be face-to-face and embodied sexual contact. 
Sex is afforded an excess of significance. Sex is seen as the thing which is the most important thing in a relationship. And we presume that all couples want the same amount of sex. And if they want a different amount of sex, then actually there's a problem in the relationship. But actually what we know from couple research is that one partner will say, well, you know, I want to eat different kinds of food. I want to eat more often than my partner. I might want to read more books than my partner. But there is a presumption that I want the same amount of sex as my partner, or the same kinds of sex. And we know that isn't the case. So what couples have to do is that routine, regular relationship work to keep a sex life happy and dynamic. Sex is an ordinary, everyday part of relationship. It is not everything, but also it's not nothing. And if we see it as just one of the many dimensions of a relationship, then actually relationships may be more content with what's going on because it is just one factor among many. Thank you so much to Professor Jackie Gabb for those fascinating insights. One of the things I took away from both of those guests, from Ruby and from Professor Jackie Gabb, was that uh, your sex drive or your libido, however you want to refer to it, changes and it ebbs and flows. And just because it's gone doesn't mean it won't come back again. One of the things that Ruby said that I liked was libido isn't static. And she described Mm. how it changes in relation to everything else that's going on in your life which you're like, of course, it's so obvious, but it's quite reassuring to hear someone say it every now and then. And then Jackie also expanded on that, saying that your ability to want sex can sometimes contradict your capacity to have sex. You know, we just need to be a bit more compassionate to ourselves. Just because you're not having it doesn't necessarily mean you don't desire your partner or you're not a sexual person. It can just mean that you're freaking tired, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a really nice message that both of them flagged. Definitely. I also thought that Ruby's advice about how to have a vulnerable conversation and the different options that she put forward will be super helpful for people when trying to navigate what's like essentially a really, really difficult and sensitive mm-hmm. issue. Also something I thought that's really important that Ruby brought up is how, you know, if you do find that your incompatibility is is just kind of too much or it's not working for you, then, you know, this isn't, you're not supposed to kind of just, just go with it. You know, there might be something to work through for a specific period of time. But if there does come a point where it's just not working for you, then then that it's okay to end a relationship. It is okay to call time on something if, if it's not right. And I also found what Professor Gab said about the issues with the term sexlessness, that it implies that there's something missing from your relationship where in actual fact, based on the conversations that we've had today, that's not the case at all. It's just what's key is, you know, Mm -hmm. finding whatever groove works for you at that given time and having open conversations. And that idea that, of course, you're not going to match all of the time. Like, I loved when Professor Gab was saying, it's like eating. You don't want to eat exactly the same as your partner. You don't want to read (laughs) exactly the same books as your partner. So why should you want exactly the same amount of sex as your partner? And... Yeah, when you put it like that, it's kind of bonkers that this is something that people Google or worry about in the first place. 
Yeah, yeah. Like it will just occupy so much of your energy, you know, worrying about how much sex you should or shouldn't be having. And when you kind of just take it as just another area of your relationship that can relieve quite a lot of pressure. Um, I think as well, actually, on, on that point, both guests were talking about masturbation and about kind of other ways to show intimacy and that that kind of speaks to that compatibility thing. You can't expect to find everything, you know, in your only mm-hmm. partner. And so if there are kind of needs that you need to have met, then you can, you know, go it alone. Go forth and masturbate. And if you need some tips on how to do that, we have a great episode in season one all about masturbation. Always plugging, always (laughs) plugging the other episodes. (laughs) I love it. I am always on brand. Um, (laughs) And that, unfortunately, is all we've got time for in this week's episode of Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a lovely review. We'll be back next week where we'll be discussing another taboo topic, ageing. I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me at rachelmoss underscore... And I'm Brogan Driscoll, and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. This podcast is produced by Rachel Porter. Our assistant producer is Marta van der Wolf, and our sound engineer is Nag Karinde. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag AIMYU. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started